0: He joins us every single Monday. And I look forward to the conversation every single week as we talk all things SEC football. And he is one of the best in the business at doing so. Chris Doring of SEC Network. He joins the show once again. Chris, how are you, my friend? Appreciate you doing I'm that. I'm
2: good. Nah, no, it's good to be on with you, man. It's uh it's hard to believe we're running out of weeks here, man. Not many Mondays left to doing this, bro.
0: Not many Mondays left. Before you know it, Chris, we'll be back in Atlanta for the SEC Championship. Let's start, though, looking back at Week 10. South Carolina escapes near disaster in that game against Jacksonville State, getting the W. Chris, you look at the game, though. For a team that was just looking for a win, lost four in a row. I mean, Mississippi State, the last time they won, felt like forever ago. To get back in the win column, you know what you have to do to get to a bowl game, go undefeated, down the stretch. It was ugly a lot of times, and there's a lot of things to clean up. But, Chris, you know as well as I do, when you're cold and you can get a victory, at the end of the day, a win is a win is a win, and that's what South Carolina had to have in that football game.
2: Yeah, I think Jacksonville State's a better team than probably people would recognize just by the name, obviously transitioning into playing at the uh, Division One level. but uh you know, Rich Rodriguez, uh, he hadn't forgotten how to coach, and obviously that was true on Saturday. Uh, it, it was funny because I think the reason that they almost lost the game was because of the defense, but in the end, the reason they won the game was because of the defense as well. Four takeaways, including the pick six that ended up kind of sealing it for South Carolina, uh, but definitely some things to clean up and and, and certainly the explosive plays that, uh, that they gave up on that side of the ball uh, were unacceptable, but uh, getting a win, getting some positive vibes getting a, a little momentum as you said heading into the next three ball games that they've got to win um you know i give shane beamer a lot of credit he, he does a great job of getting guys back on track and getting the most uh positive attitude in some of the the uh the toughest situations so uh, i'm anxious to see if they can continue to to put something together and uh yeah who knows what happens we never would have expected south carolina to end the way they did last year with those tennessee and clemson wins and back-to-back weeks so uh, who who knows what's next for the Gamecocks?
0: Spencer Rattler balls out yet again, Chris Storing. Xavier again
2: I need you to tell me, what, what 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 in the water is going on there that causes Spencer Rattler to have the fast starts every single week? It seems like this guy comes out of the box, you know, 11 for 11, 18 for 18. Now, What was he, 9 of 10, I think, at one point in time in that game. Like, it, it's amazing how prepared he looks and how uh, much he – he, he is able to get in a rhythm from the get go. I mean, inevitably, you're gonna. You think about a quarterback having an off day, or you think about a pitcher not having his stuff. But Spencer Rattler, just for whatever reason, man, he seems like he's incredibly focused and comes out and, and just executes from snap number one, man.
0: And, and Chris, the splits home and road are just insane because you. And I know the competition you take into account who they play, but I mean, he's been electric at Williams-Brice Stadium, and again, the good news is. The rest of their games are at Williams-Brice Stadium against some pretty manageable defenses. I wanted to get to, though, Chris, I I think over the summer I asked you about Juice Wells and his game and making a comp for him when you looked at him, what you saw. Xavier Leggett's been the one that's taken over. He was huge in that game yet again. When you watch his game, is there any player comp or anybody that you see or, or you think of that he reminds you of when you watch his game right now?
2: You know, I'm not good at that game. I, maybe you, maybe there's somebody you have in mind that I can, I can uh, that'll jog a, a memory for me. But I, I just look at this guy as somebody that I thought was, you know, kind of one foot in, one foot out in past years. And, and this year, uh, to see the, the start that he began the year with and, and the consistency, especially with not having a real number two receiver to compliment him, uh, has just been really impressive. He, he can take the short passes the distance. He can catch the ones over the top. You know, I I think he's a a tremendous weapon, and certainly when he's healthy, he's a he's as dangerous as there is in the SEC.
0: Chris, let's go to Gainesville. A, no, a, no do he, you
2: have somebody? I want to hear who, who who do you think dude, it is.
0: I see. I'm going to sound crazy for this one. I'm more so going. I think body type, but I go to DK Metcalf. That, that's just yeah. like I know he's not the body of work in college, but like this year specifically and watching him bully some teams and just seeing Mm -hmm. the physique, I'm like, it's a, it's like DK Metcalf-like. That's, that's what I, that's where I go. That's a good,
2: that's a good He's He's
0: honestly different than any other South Carolina wide receiver I've seen from that standpoint. Like, there's been a lot of good ones, a lot of great ones at that position. But with that build, I don't know that I've seen many at South Carolina or, Matt Metcalf is the first place I go. That's where my mind goes when I look at him.
2: Yeah, I, I like the big physical wide receivers. It's funny, you know, when I was a kid, that was the time of the run and shoot offenses. And I remember seeing an article in the newspaper about the ideal run and shoot receiver, you know, being a, a 5'10 guy that uh, was quick and like I was six four, you know, I was thinking like, golly, this is this is not good for me. And it, it's evolved really into being about you know, having big guys on the outside. And so I, you know, I played with Ed McCaffrey, who was one of the biggest, most physical guys you could possibly play with. and and learn from him and i think i always respect guys that uh, play the position to take the fight to the defense instead of letting the defense kind of dictate the level of physicality that that the uh, game is played in
1: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data
0: Now, Chris, they honored the 2000, I believe, 9-13 to South Carolina team. So Coach Spurrier back in Columbia, and he was recalling each year, 09, 10, 11, 12, 13, he got to the Outback Bowl that they played against Michigan, and he threw out the comment, we didn't let him get our signals that day. Does
2: it support (laughs) you at
0: all that he's got those zingers still in him right now?
2: Does not surprise me at all, man. He's uh, he's been doing it forever. Whether it was the free shoes university or whether it was the uh, can't spell citrus without U T, always like taking shots at the opponents. And uh, you know that's a that's a well timed one, obviously, right there.
0: <laughs> and it's always so effortless with the HBC. That's yeah. it's organic. That's a beautiful thing about it, Chris. I don't mean to put you in a bad new uh, bad mood. I should say, <laughs> to Gainesville we go. It feels like with Florida, every time there's a step taken forward, there has to be one or even two taken back. And I know a lot of Gator fans would argue there were a couple, maybe potentially taken back on Saturday, losing to an Arkansas team that just fired their offensive coordinator. And they explode for a big offensive day. Admittedly, Chris, I didn't get to watch every snap of that game. What went wrong for Florida? And now... What's the bowl outlook like? Because it only gets tougher from here to try to get that sixth win.
2: Let, let me start on the positive side and let me praise the job that uh, the Arkansas team did to get back on track. This team that lost six games in a row, they, they really uh, were in a rut. Obviously, as you mentioned, fired Danny. You Kenny Guyton gets the opportunity to be elevated to the interim offensive coordinator position. Uh, I thought he did a good job of simplifying the playbook. They didn't do a ton on offense, but they did the things that, that, the team is best suited for, and that's getting KJ Jefferson involved in the run game, 17 carries for 92 yards. Some of those called some of those scrambles where he makes plays happen. Uh, Rocket Sanders back runs for over 100 yards. Offensive line who hadn't really blocked well at all all season finds a way to create a little bit of a run game over 200 yards on the ground in this one. So uh, I give them credit for, for coming out and, and, and playing hard. I knew it was going to be a tough game. It was a tough spot for Florida coming after the Georgia game. They just didn't look like they had a lot of juice early, find themselves down 14, nothing quickly fight back at the end of the first quarter. It's knotted back up at 14. And, and uh, you know, Florida had multiple chances to finish the game. And I, I said this on our show on Saturday night, good teams find ways to win bad teams, find ways to lose and uh, Florida found ways to lose. And the thing that bothers me, Chris, is the disorganization or the lack of real procedural uh, command in tough situations. You, you, you get, you um the opportunity to to uh, clock this the you get in field goal range at the end of regulation all you gotta do is clock the ball here you get a first down the clock's already stopped florida's running on their field goal team and substituting like they that, that is simple grant mertz knew exactly what to do he gets to the line of scrimmage trying to clock it and they get a they get an illegal substitution penalty because they're sending people on from the sideline like it reminds me a lot of the utah game where it just looks like complete disarray on the sideline so Yeah, I don't know why Uh, they don't by now have this thing figured out, but it it really does scare me about the future. This coaching staff's done a great job in terms of recruiting and and creating, um, you know, some talent upgrades. But in in terms of in-game coaching, I've got to see some improvement because it is very frustrating to watch the same things happen. We're in week 10 and the same things are happening that happened in week one.
0: Chris, I was told by a couple of Florida guys when the Gamecocks and Gators played that Florida does not have a special teams coach, and which to me seems ironic because special teams has cost Florida time and time and time again. I mean, the question I was going to ask you is how does Billy Napier get that fixed? But I mean, maybe hiring a special teams coach would be a good start. I mean, it's it's got to get fixed though. It's just a it's yeah. an eyesore at this point.
2: I don't you know I, I, you bring that up and I, I guess I'll, I'll take that as being the truth I don't know I mean I know that they went out and opened the checkbook and hired all sorts of on field and off field and analysts and everything else positions that, that coach Napier said he needed when he got to Florida. Um, for whatever reason, though, the, the, the collective isn't really getting it done right now so yeah the, the you're right, the special teams have been atrocious. Um, you know I, I, trace Max going on the field to try to kick a game winning field goal and it's just chaos on the sideline like if you can at least spike the ball let the kicker run out there focus on kicking instead of having him all overly hyped you know I mean I think he's got a better chance to make it potentially it's it's a kick he's got to make I'm not making excuses they mess up an extra point early in the game which obviously comes back to haunt them as well Um, the defense doesn't make plays when they have opportunities they were they were atrocious as well Um, third and you got K.J. dead to rights in a blitz that you, you you can't bring it down. It really reminds me a lot of South Carolina's failures at the end of the Florida game. So, you know, what comes around goes around, I guess. But, you know, you watch Georgia. You watch Alabama. They find ways to win. I felt like Florida found a way to lose this game, and it was one they should have certainly been able to have.
0: Chris, speaking of Georgia, let's go to Athens. We need to highlight the dogs and what they did. Beat a really good Missouri team. Like, people need to recognize that's a really good Mizzou team. 30 to 21 the final what did you see from the back-to-back national champions again just doing the little things right getting it done on the yeah
2: home. it really wasn't flashy by any means and, and this was uh you know a game where the the, the Georgia Bulldogs took some took some shots from uh, Missouri I was impressed again they have no fear of the Bulldogs the back-to-back national champions Missouri takes it right to them hits Luther Burden on the long touchdown in the first quarter to get up uh, it's tied at halftime. Uh, but Georgia, they, they are one of the best halftime adjustment coaching staffs in, in college football. The way they came out after the South Carolina first half and, and took control of that game was kind of similar to what they did in this one as well. Um, you know, it, it, nothing really flashy about Carson Beck's numbers or the rushing yards or the defense. It's just a great to complete team win where you you go out, the defense uh, sets you up for, for uh, two takeaways. You don't turn the ball over, so you're plus two in the turnover margin. Your defense forces three, uh, two field goals out of the three red zone trips. You, you can't beat Georgia if you're settling for field goals and you're turning the football over and not take, getting takeaways of your own. I just thought it was a very workmanlike, blue-collar win that doesn't really look all that great in the stat sheet, but at the end of the day, you beat a really good team, and uh, you're able to move on. And, and uh, two down, two to go in that tough slate of portion of your schedule, man.
0: Without Brock Bowers, by the way, without Brock Bowers, yep. and Ladd McConkey yep. stepping up, and I was going to say, Chris, I-, I know for you, obviously, a-, a wide receiver at heart. You had a lot of fun, I'd have to imagine, watching the highlights of that game with guys like McConkey, Rara Thomas, Dominic Lovett. Then you got on the other side, Theo Weiss Jr., Luther Burden. I mean, the yeah. – The star power was out at the wide receiver position for both of those teams. How impressed, let me just say this, how impressive to you, Chris, and they've still got a ways to go. Some really tough challenges, of course, the game against Ole Miss, that game in Knoxville. But, I mean, what Georgia's doing without Brock Bowers, and I know McConkie's gotten healthy stepping up, but, I mean, it's really impressive. I feel like everybody's kind of waiting on Georgia to fall, and if they get through this slate undefeated without him, I I think that's really going to say a lot about them.
3: Yeah, it,
2: it, you know, Kirby mentioned in this postgame press conference, we're a next man up team and they've really recruited incredibly well and developed guys that when they get their opportunity, step up and answer the bell. And uh, I thought Oscar Dell played well, uh, caught a touchdown pass, played well in the run game uh, as an attached tight end in the blocking uh, of the edge there. Uh, McConkey, as you mentioned, close to 100 yards receiving was really Carson Beck's go-to guy. They just have a lot of guys on offense and defense that are unselfish and do their job. And one day it may be their opportunity to put up big stats. Another day it may be more of a, a secondary supporting role. But uh, they're, they're all about winning football games. And that's why, you know, they haven't lost a home game in Sanford Stadium since 2019 and they've won the last two national championships. And I think they do it again here coming up in January.
0: The Spurs Up show is brought to you by our friends over at Twisted Tea. your first purchase. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price. Guaranteed. Chris, to Tuscaloosa, the big one, LSU and Alabama. It's always a classic when these two teams meet. That was just a fun football game, man. Like, I, I was watching that game, and it was unfortunate, obviously. Jalen Daniels goes down with the injury late, but that reminded me of a game in which, when you and your buddies are playing NCAA or Madden, and you both have mobile quarterbacks, and yeah. you're just taking off scrambling with those quarterbacks in the video game, like it looked like I was watching a video game. Watching, you, you know
2: what it was? Go at it. I like that analogy, but it, it more so to me, it's like watching a high school football game where you put your best athlete at the quarterback position and you tell them to just go make plays. And, uh, and the majority of the plays that both of those quarterbacks made were just improvisation. You know, like uh, Jaden Daniels. The thing what I would do with him every down, and they do it a lot, I would just empty out the backfield, um, go five wide and, and make a defense commit what they're gonna do. Are they gonna try to bring six and overload the pressure? And if you do, then you're throwing slants and you're hitting it and going. If not, you got a hat for a hat and let Jaden Daniels just try to find his way. And he's very patient. He's like he he kind of glides and then finds a little gap and hits it hard. And I mean, he had he had he had to run. I think he had a 24-yard run, two 28-yard runs, a 40-yard run. Obviously, you know, that he was difficult to stop, as was Jalen Milrow. I mean, you can't say enough about what Milrow did, four touchdowns on the ground uh, himself. And, like, this is a, a, uh, a fun offensive, like, uh, shootout. And, and you feel bad because uh, the only way you're going to stop LSU was what they did there. They, they got a, a tip one time, and the ball gets intercepted. Um, but you got to feel like you know Jay Daniels would have brought them back at least had them in the ball game. But I'm not sure LSU was ever going to get a stop on on Alabama either. So it was exactly what it, we expected it to be a, a high scoring shootout. Um, but at the end of the day, I credit Alabama. They've come a long way from where they were in, in week you know week two and week three. Um, but they, they they got back to being Alabama. Ran the football extremely well. Got Jalen Milrow involved in the run game. Something we wanted to see a little bit more of. Uh, and and they possessed the football in the fourth quarter for 11 minutes and 14 seconds. That That's, you know, talk about four-minute offense. That, that's what Alabama used to do, take the air out of the ball at the end of the ballgame. They haven't been able to do it the last couple of years. But to me, that was a great sign, their ability to run, not only May- Melrose, but uh, the rest of the running backs and the ability to possess the football and not give LSU's offense it's a chance to bring them back late.
0: To your point, Chris, when I was watching that fourth quarter, it reminded me of something I heard one time. It's not about can you run the football. It's about can you run the football when you want to and when Mm -hmm. you have to, and that's in the fourth quarter of a game when you're imposing your will on the opponent. And back to the quarterbacks, Chris, what really stood out to me is, like, we know the team speed on LSU and Bama's elite, and I was watching those guys running. I was like, everybody else around them looks so slow. I, it's I just, funny. It was insane. I, I couldn't I literally, see how fast I, they
2: looked. I just I went back and watched the tape on Sunday, and it was exactly what you're saying. When, when Jay Daniels had the football, we're talking about the highest recruited players in the country on that Alabama defense, and they looked like slow little kids. They couldn't keep up with them at all, and the same was true for LSU's defense when Jalen Milrow had the football. Um, it, it's It's impressive just how good those players are. And not just, not just running the ball, but Jaden Daniels made a throw down the right sideline that was as good as I've seen him make. The precision with great coverage. I think, I'm going to say it was uh, maybe Malik Neighbors down the sideline, but one foot in, like it, it was just a perfect throw. You, you can't stop them. You, you either hope that they make a mistake, a receiver drops the ball, or a ball gets tipped and you picked it off. And both of those things happened, and and that's what the difference in the football game was.
0: Chris, I got to ask you about the Dallas Turner hit on Jaden Daniels. Did you, were were you, what were your feelings on it? I know that I like when you're the Bama fan or you're on that side, you're like, Hey, good, hard-nosed football. I saw LSU fans. They want to file a lawsuit against the SEC and the officiating. I think it was a good, hard-nosed football play. I understand why in that ball game, you hate that it takes your quarterback out. I don't think it was dirty or anything of the sort. Like what? what did you take did you think it was dirty you think it was what did you
2: you know benjamin watson and i were sitting in studio watching this and uh we said man back in when we were playing you'd be celebrating a hit like that that's one that you see on the highlight videos you know you come in you wrap up you hit a guy hard and and you take him down i understand it's a new day and age in football i didn't think you i don't i don't think he launched you know i think if you slow it down and freeze it maybe it looks like his his helmet, you know, is, is hitting him under the chin, which obviously it did. But I don't think it was a dirty play at all. I do think uh, it was probably deserving of a roughing the passer call, which it got. But I don't think it was a targeting call uh, that would have, you know, gotten Dallas Turner out for the rest of the night.
0: I wouldn't expect, Chris, you to have much sympathy as a guy that went across the middle and dealt with safeties back in the 90s.
2: Nope, not at all, man. It's funny. <laughs> like, I would love to play in today's college football, man. No fear of really getting your head taken off. You, you remember back in the day, it was the old Crunch Course NFL videos. It was the uh, Knocked Up on uh, Monday Night Countdown. And nowadays, it is a uh, a totally different football game, which is great. I, I love guys uh, being able to to be protected, but it's certainly a different style of play than what we played in.
0: Yeah, Chris, to your point, I remember growing up, going on YouTube and watching the the big hit videos like Brian Erlack or Ray Lewis. Yep. I'm just here, Chris, you're in one piece and made it through and you know you <laughs> get it separated the process. So um,
2: very,
0: very
3: fortunate for yeah,
0: sure. I, I didn't touch on the Old Miss AM m game, Chris. Of course, everybody wants to go right to the conversation with Jimbo Fisher job. Let's give credit to Old Miss, though. I mean, they they just they just keep on keeping on. Like I they still don't get they get a lot of credit and notoriety because of Lane Kiffin, he goes on college game day, go tigers. That was really funny. He's the king of trolling and poking and prodding, but he's got a damn good football team too. Yeah, I mean, they, they just yeah. they just keep on keeping on, man.
2: I, I thought Texas A and M would win this football game because the matchup was not favorable for Ole Miss, particularly the front seven for A and M going up against an offensive line that they've been running the ball better behind them. But the last time they struggled running was against an Alabama front seven that was very similarly built to what Texas A and M looked like they had. And uh, they did a great job up front. You can point to the 334 passing yards. I think that Jackson Dart had. You can point to the 200 plus that Trey Harris had through the air. But all of that happens because the offensive line is able to block. This is the number one sack defense in the conference. They had 33 sacks on the year. And Ole Miss only gave up one on Saturday. Also going up against the number two rush defense in the conference. And ran for four yards of carry over 120 yards, I think, on the ground for Ole Miss. So I give that offensive line a lot of credit. But you're right, this is a very good team. Uh, I think their their confidence is is continuing to build, and and uh, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what they can do in in Oxford. You know, I mean, or excuse me, in, in Athens against uh, Georgia. The one thing that uh, Georgia looks like they're vulnerable to is is the perimeter run game, and. Uh, Ole Miss has a lot of really fast ball carriers, whether you're talking about Judkins or Bentley or you're talking about some of the jet sweep stuff. It'll be interesting to see if that speed is able to get to the edge and if they can have some success running some outside like Auburn did early in the year.
0: And, Chris, that's a great segue in the Week 11 slate. And sticking with that game, and I want to pose a question to you because I think Ole Miss, I don't know if it's a bold take, I think they're a little bit better of a team than Tennessee right now. What's the more dangerous game for Georgia in your mind? That old Miss game? It's a night game in Athens, so that helps out a lot. Or the road trip on Rocky Top? What's a more difficult game
2: for them? You know, I I, I lean towards saying Tennessee is the more dangerous road game only because the Vols seem like a totally different team in Neyland than they do when they're on the road. Um, I also uh, believe that, that Tennessee has upgraded their – Level of physicality on the lines of scrimmage, something that Georgia exposed last year. Um, but until I see it, I'm probably a little skeptical as well. Like I told you before, I think Georgia wins the rest of their ball games. But in terms of the the, the most challenging um, game, I, I, I lean towards what that crowd uh, can create in Knoxville and uh, what will be a tremendous home field advantage. And and obviously the most uh, hostile environment that Carson Beck will have started in, in his career. So let's see, he hasn't really been um, shaken at all this year. He was a little bit uh, slow starting in the first half against Missouri, got things together, but let's see how he does when he goes to Neyland and has to, you know, face that that defense that uh, can certainly bring a lot of pressure, but uh, that 105,000 plus that can make it a raucous environment there as well.
0: Now, Chris, Tennessee, Missouri, you know, what's funny about this game, Over the summer, admittedly, right, you're looking at schedules. We're trying to kind of get ahead of things. And let me pick an upset here, upset there. Like, it's college football. Craziness happens. I had Missouri beating Tennessee over the summer. I did not know Missouri was going to be a top 15 team when it happened, though. And that's more than likely going to be the case when the AP poll drops yet again. And now we know Mizzou is a really, really good football team. Big one for Tennessee, obviously. Big one for Mizzou, too, though. The SEC East race. Slim hopes, but it's still alive. Uh, what are you looking for in this one? I mean, again, a 330 kickoff. I I think this could be the most fun game of the weekend.
2: Yeah, it's it's gonna be exciting and uh it's in como, right?
0: It is in como, yes.
2: Yeah, Brady yeah I, I, to
0: I, Milton going at it.
2: Yeah, I think it'll be fun. Uh credit the Missouri fans. They've created a nice little home field environment there at Farot Field. So uh, you know, I know Maybe one of the difficult things to do is is bouncing back from a disappointing loss. Uh, it's also a very physical game when you go up against Georgia, kind of a similar spot to what Florida just was in and then their ball game against Arkansas after losing to Georgia last week. But um, it'll be interesting to see if they can rebound. Um, Tennessee seems to have figured things out offensively. We know they want to run the ball. I think that Joe Milton's stat line is 18 of 21 or whatever it was like, he, he last two ball games. I think he's completed over 80% of his passes. He's not being asked to throw uh, an awful lot. So I think it's a perfect formula for them having success. But, um, you know, I, I, I do think that um, it comes down. If I were Missouri, I'm trying to do everything I can to force Joe Milton to beat me and, and see if they can continue to consistently throw and catch the ball, something they they didn't really do very well early in the season.
0: Now, Chris, this has got to be one of your favorite weeks of the year, Florida and LSU, which I'm sure means you and your co-host, Jacob Hester. All I want to know is what's the bet? What what, what you guys got on the line this week for the game?
2: Well, my bigger bet is with Peter Burns. I mean, PB is— uh, Oh, you know, that's
0: right. You guys had the College World Series bet. You had to rock. Yeah,
2: shoot. I mean, in addition to four straight football bets <laughs> that I've lost, so— uh, I think we're, we're uh, trying to figure that out this week, but um, it Eaters is are uh, killing
0: you, man. They're just killing Yeah. You.
2: yeah. And, and that's something that, that coach Napier said to me at media days. First thing he said, we, man, we got to keep you out of the, the, the costumes this year. So, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully Florida can uh, get back on track, uh, anxious to see what Jaden Daniels status is after that concussion protocol at the end of the, the Alabama game. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, the bet will be on again. I don't, you know, people say, well, are you going to take – I'm not taking points. You don't take points with your alma mater. I take pride in, in supporting my Gators. And, you know, whether they go in there and, and win or, or whether they go in there and lose, that's that's secondary to uh, to support the alma mater off camera.
0: Going to be fun. 7.30 kick Eastern time in Death Valley. That's what Florida gets rewarded with that game on SEC Network. Uh, South Carolina Vandy, Chris, anytime you've beaten an opponent, I think it's – South Carolina is going to go for their 15th in a row. Again, you were a player. What type of mental advantage does that give you? Does that does that matter a ton for the game that's being played like that year, right? Because, I mean, these players, they weren't around, you know, years yeah. ago when the streak started. But, like, you guys knew, right, when you were playing Kentucky or, like, a team you beat every year. Like, I, I, I'm sure it had to give you a mental edge, and I feel like that's the way with the Gamecocks because no matter how good, bad, terrible, whatever – South Carolina has been, or Vandy, the Gamecocks just find a way to beat Vandy, and I'm like we're talking some really yeah. bad South Carolina teams and some really good James Franklin Vandy teams that somehow, some way, Carolina has not lost to the, the Commodores. And I, I'm
2: probably not the best to be able to ask about this because we showed up thinking we were going to beat everybody, so it really wasn't yeah. uh, anything special. But but we, we you know we we were in the beginning uh, portions of that what 31 32 year streak over kentucky we beat bandy a ton of years in a row i think it's more the weight of it on the team that's on the losing side of that streak you know and having to hear about it you know the media like you said the kids don't know anything about it until the media brings it up and asks questions about it so you know it doesn't have anything what's happened in previous years doesn't matter as much other than the fact that uh, i do think there's some pressure on the team that's on the losing end of that to try to have to uh break a streak that they didn't have anything largely to do with in previous years.
0: Chris Doring of SEC Network. Chris, one last thing. I'll throw you a curveball to end this because a lot of the chatter, I just feel like it's a daily thing with this Michigan stuff and the scandal. And should Michigan be allowed to go to the college ball playoff with all this stuff going on? Do you think that should matter yeah. this year?
2: It's a really hard situation because I do think it deserves to have the due diligence done. Um, the NCAA doesn't do anything swiftly, but, you know, could you imagine suspending, uh, Michigan and not allowing them to be a part of the, the college football playoffs. And you find out later on that they really didn't have anything to do with it. And it wasn't as big as it was made out to be. That would be a shame to those kids on that Michigan team, a shame to the program in general. This is probably their best chance to win a national championship in a long time. But on the flip side, what if they do find out that they were, you know, guilty of all these things? Sure, you can say, Yeah, we took the championship away, or we took their, you know, Big Ten title away, or we, you know, we vacated their wins on the field. That's great. But what about the team that was at that fifth spot that would have deserved to get in to compete in a college football playoff that's not gonna have that opportunity? So that's what I feel for the kids on both sides. The Michigan players, I I, I have to believe they didn't know anything about this. Um, and, and so it, it's just a bad situation all around. Um, I don't know what the solution is, but uh, it certainly doesn't seem to me like it's going to get repped, wrapped up in the next three or four weeks before the end of the regular season.
0: Chris Doring again joins us every single Monday. And, Chris, I'm pulling for you this week. You in particular, <laughs> by the way, as someone that, had to don the Florida Gators cap, losing the bet. I don't want to see you in LSU. guy. I'd like to see you win one of these. So, yeah. I'm going for you.
2: <laughs> I appreciate it, man. O for my last five against PB. So, we'll see hey, if we can't do. break this streak, man. You do. Hey, yeah, that's what you say, right? At the casino, it's been seven blacks in a row. It's got to be red soon, right? So, we'll see. At some
0: point. At some point. Chris, appreciate you doing this, man. We'll do it again next week. Sounds good, man. Thanks, Chris.